Welcome everyone to our Thursday evening study table. Some of us are just finishing up dinner, enjoying dinner, and we're glad that you joined us tonight. And if you're joining us via podcast, we're glad you're here with us as well. And I'm sure that we'll probably have a few more that will jump on as we get going here. And uh, tonight, so what I thought I'd do tonight um, is start out with a question. And since there's not a lot of us in this window all at the same time, um, I'll just toss it out to everyone and um, you all can take, a, take a, a stab at how you would answer this. Um, I was thinking about this today. If you had the power to completely eliminate one form of evil in the world, what would it be? If you had the power to completely eliminate one form of evil in the world, what would it be? The Starks have to start this out because they are laughing hysterically. <laughs> Go ahead. Yanja. Nah. She, <laughs> if she had the power to completely eliminate one form of evil, she would get rid of math. Any particular one? Calculus. Oh, well, yeah, calculus is a demon. That's true. One and two. Is a demon, you have to admit, right? Calculus is a demon, right, Stephen? Yeah. <laughs> Even Stephen says yes. All right, somebody else, if you had the power to completely eliminate one form of evil in the world, what would it be? I think I've got mine. Mine would be wealth disparity. Ah, the wealth disparity, okay, good. Somebody else? Probably hatred and wars. Okay, so hatred and war, okay, somebody else? I see. But as I think about different ones, they really all come down to one thing, just sin. Uh, so you, he would eliminate Selfishness, sin. power, whatever. Okay, all of those facets of sin, the selfishness, power. All right. Chris, do you have one? If you could eliminate one? The first thing that came to mind was coronavirus, but... <laughs> yeah, and everything that's kind of ensued with it, yeah. I think the Overtons are here somewhere. Are you here? We're having technical issues. I'm going to start the video and see if that helps you, okay? Let's try that. There you go. So you are having trouble with sound. <laughs> we can see you perfectly. Can you see us? Yep. Can everybody hear us? Can you, I think we can hear you. Go ahead and speak again, Overtons. We're here, but we're having trouble hearing you. We can't go back to the go to here. Are you not getting anything, or are you just is it just getting it very, very soft? Yeah, we'll keep working on it. Yeah, I have a feel you're a little soft too, so I have a feeling your volume on your iPad's turned way down or something. All right, good. So we've been asking if you had the power to completely eliminate one form of evil in the world, what would it be? And we've had all different answers from mathematics to income or wealth disparity to um wars and rumors of war the variety the, the various the <laughs> the virus and all of the aftermath that's coming along with that and peter kind of just summed it up with the big word just sin this idea of everything that's broken shalom in our world and um i think you all of you have um some really great observations and so when we talked last Thursday, 
we talked about the need for the community in the life of a believer, that God created us to have relationship with others. Why? Because we're made in his image and he is by his very nature relational. And so all of those categories that Peter nicely summed up for us in sin or that breaking of shalom, right, are broken relationships with uh, creation, the world around us, with God himself. And relationships are what provide that environment that we need in order to grow and mature in our lives spiritually. So without that connection and others, our souls have the potential to slowly wither. So tonight's study is about how to reach out to others in love to form the connections that God designed for us to have. And that's what we talked about last week, the, the relationships God designed us to have. So basically, tonight, it's about helping us understand how to put last week's lesson into practice. And, and if I had to like put it in a word, it would be the importance of community and tonight this idea of bonding together or being joined together. And I got that idea and that word and kind of focused in on that word because uh, in the mornings, early, after we get up, we'll usually have breakfast together and um, have our coffee. And we've gotten in the habit of putting on a home improvement show. I guess you really wouldn't call it that, Chris. It's not really a home improvement. It's called Building Off the Grid. Has anybody watched Building Off the Grid? We love this show suddenly. It's about a 30-minute thing where you can eat breakfast, have coffee. And it's somebody who's building a house off the grid, no electricity, no running water, you know, those kinds of things, similar to what we had to do when we uh, took over the property there in Uganda. And one of the things that you learn there is that individual pieces of wood, even if they're big chunks of wood, uh, individual pieces alone are vulnerable to the weather. But if you take those same pieces and you bond them together, they have this uh, incredible ability to withstand tremendous forces. So they're usually building for things like um, up in Montana today, they were up in the Washington, the mountains of North, uh, Northeastern Washington, they've been on the Hawaiian Islands, all places that the weather has huge extremes. And so um, we're gonna be looking at our text tonight in Romans chapter 12 from that idea that, that Paul is building that when we're together, when we're bonded together in love, we can stand and withstand tremendous forces that are oftentimes aligned against us. And I thought it was really timely for uh, where we found ourselves this week, even as we continue to make our way through this um, pandemic time. And so our text is in Romans chapter 12. And um, essentially what he does for us, um, you're all probably familiar with the first eight verses of chapter 12. That's the famous um, living your life as a living sacrifice that's holy and pleasing to God, which is our appropriate, reasonable, some of your translations say, um, response to God. But then he goes on beginning in chapter, uh, in verse nine of chapter 12, and he starts talking about some of the attitudes and actions and the way we ought to relate in community to one another, that's nine through 13. And then he picks up at the second half of 13 all the way through 18 and he talks about what it should look like, just not, not just for those of us who are relating in community, Christian community one to another, but also what should it look like in terms of how we relate and how we bond with people who are outside the community of faith. 
And so in Romans 12, he's really bringing home this idea that our heart attitudes and our actions have a lot to do with the quality of the relationships we have. And so he fills these verses with commands and exhortations around a singular theme, which is essentially love, because he believes and he uses it really as like a measuring stick so that we can kind of match ourselves up and look and see how do we measure up in the ways in which we need to grow in our love for each other. So let me go ahead and read for you. I'm going to start with Romans 12. We're going to read 9 through 13. We're going to deal with that section first, how we relate to each other within the community of faith. And then I'll jump on in 14 through 18 near the end. And we'll talk about how we're supposed to interact and react with those people who are outside of our community. So Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9, we read, Love should be shown without pretending. Hate evil and hold on to what is good. Love each other like the members of your family. Be the best at showing honor to each other. Don't hesitate to be enthusiastic. Be on fire in the spirit as you serve the Lord. Be happy in your hope, stand your ground when you're in trouble, and devote yourself to prayer. Contribute to the needs of God's people and welcome strangers into your house. Before we dive in, let's take a moment to go to God in prayer and ask that we might be made aware of the Holy Spirit's presence with us tonight. Would you do that with me? Father God, we thank you for this gathering that is, we know, a poor substitute for being together in real life, and yet this is what we have available to us. And so we're thankful for this opportunity to gather together as a part of your body, the church. We pray that the Holy Spirit, who has promised to be present here with us, she might open our hearts and our minds to what you'd have for us from your word tonight. For we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. So just by way of introduction again, the first 11 chapters of Romans are a whole bunch of theology and doctrine. You can get lost and swamped. In fact, a lot of people who start out studying the book of Romans, I often encourage them to start at the middle, like here in 12, go to the end, and then circle back to the beginning, because it's very easy to get kind of slogged down and bogged down in big theology and then find yourself getting discouraged. Because in, verse 12, in chapter 12 now, the content becomes very practical as theology integrates with day-to-day -day living and loving. And so these verses are some of the challenges that we would face to live out what we believe with sincere love to people inside and outside the community. So the exhortation in 12 verses 9 through 13, as I said, it focuses on our relationship first within the community of faith. And he begins our passage with the instruction, love, verse 9, should be shown without pretending. And literally, the translation, the literal translation of that is unhypocritical or not play acting or not play acted, not pretended. So as we begin, I thought I'd ask the question, what is the difference from your perspective what is the difference between genuine and play-acted love? What's, what's he trying to get at using that illustration? The difference between genuine and play-acted love. 
If you're on a computer, you could space bar to, um, to toggle yourself mute on or off. Anyone? I think genuine love is putting yourself in someone else's shoes and trying to imagine what they are going through, whether it be physically or mentally or spiritually. Okay. And how would you contrast that to play acted or pretend love that's not genuine? Well, just not really trying to understand the other person. And usually it's empty words. Okay. That Word. will indicate play acting. Okay. A lack of action. No action. Okay, lack of action. Others? Between genuine I think it, I think it's more of a matter of the heart of your attitude of, and motivation for it, which may not be visible uh, or detectable to by outside people, whether it's play acting or sincere. Ah, so there's a sense they, for you. They may look pretty similar sometimes. But you, only you, the one who is either being real or play acting, really knows, right? Yes. But I agree that I'm going on the motivation part that he said. That's what I'm picking up on the most, I think. And that's one is motivated by checklists of what I should do or should be. And uh, authentic, genuine love is motivated by the Holy Spirit or your heart or God, however you want to say that. Others? I think that when it's love, it's pretending it's you're you're doing something that you will benefit from. When you genuinely love, you don't have a benefit except that you're just genuinely from the heart doing something. But a lot of times you'll outwardly do something for people and think people will think, oh, she's this great person who really loves people, but it's because I get some kind of benefit from it. Yeah, so the pretend part has the the, the focus on what you can get out of it, whereas the other, you're not take, necessarily taking that into consideration. Good. Anybody else? Jay's smiling. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, what came to mind was um, greeters at a mega church. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and how so? I mean, it's just the, the what, specifically? Your job is to be... <laughs> happy and and welcoming no matter what they really think uh, oh okay i hadn't thought about that all right yeah good that's a good one so let me let me follow that up with this question then so what would be the effects on a community where people's love for one another is genuine and then conversely what would it be like if it was play acted the effects of that on a community when they're either genuine or play acting you can pick either one or both either or or both. What would the effects be if they're play acting or if it's genuine on a community? I think when it's genuine, it's not necessarily what people, maybe what they want to hear, but it's you're doing things for their best interest or you're telling them things for the best interest, um, but it may not always be received well if you love someone. Okay, good. Others? I think, with with genuineness, you build relationships. Uh, with play acting, you're just characters on a stage saying your parts. 
I mean, there's no, I mean. <laughs> waiting for them to finish their line so you can interject yours. That's a little bit like what Jay was saying, like, hey, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm great. Yeah, that kind of piece. Yeah. Others? The effect on community where people's love for another is genuine or play active. Take your pick. I think um, the effect on a community where it's genuine, I think there would be this it's something in the air that not necessarily could pe people could pinpoint, but I think there would be this kind of secure and safe mm. atmosphere, um, maybe contented atmosphere other than, and on the flip side, when everything's fake, there's this uneasiness and um, maybe fear of, am I really accepted or am I really loved or am I, you know, this anxiety kind of, in the atmosphere versus calm and contented and, and secure. You're always questioning people's motives. Yeah, you don't you'd be doing that too. True, good. It's I think the ills of society. Love. Say that again. What? <laughs> Go ahead, Mike. Well, I was gonna say, well, first I was gonna say that I believe the ills of society would be healed um, because everyone would be taking care of each other. And then the other thing I said was, say that again, David. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. I think when it's a genuine love, then people let their guard down and you really get to know people and can form a community. When it's a pretend, you can feel when someone's not genuine and it makes you have that wall up and that guard. And so you never truly enter in to a community or into a relationship. Yeah. So you get the sense that if, if enough people are pretending, then everybody starts pretending. Is that what you're suggesting? Whereas if more people became genuine, that would open up the possibility of more genuineness um, amongst others. And I think that's a, I think that's real. I think that's absolutely real. So listen to the list of things that Peter exhorts us, exhorts us to do. In other words, I could have asked this question, what are all the things he does? Well, let me go ahead and just share them and listen to these. He says that to people within, inside of our faith community, we should hate evil, hold on to what is good, love each other like members of the family or our family, depending on how you translate it, be the best at showing honor to each other. Stand your ground when you're in trouble. Devote yourself, verse 12, to prayer. And contribute to the needs of God's people, first part of verse 13, 13a. Once again, verse 9, hate evil, hold on to good, love each other like members of the family, verse 10. Be, at the, be the best at showing honor to each other, also verse 10. Stand your ground when you're in trouble, verse 12. Devote yourself to prayer, and verse 13, contribute to the needs of God's people. What are the barriers that keep us from actively loving people this way? What are some of the barriers that keep us from doing this very thing that we have to be exhorted. This isn't, this is like, they need to be reminded just like we need to be reminded, but what is it? What are the barriers that keep us from that? Anybody? I think that you become afraid of being taken advantage of. So that would be, that would also presuppose then I think, Joannis, that 
you've been taken advantage of in the past. And so you're worried about that happening in the future, right? You're only worried about something if it's happened to you in the past, right? Typically. Mm -hmm. okay. I was going to say something similar, self-preservation and, and uh, self-interest. Okay, good. Other barriers. It could be just you genuinely just don't like people. There's some people you just don't like. And so I know my mom used to tell me the Bible says you have to love everybody. Doesn't say you have to like everybody. And I think not knowing the difference and just because I don't like you, I don't want you. So I can't show love to you because you just rub me the wrong way. Good. I think one barrier could be a feeling of inadequacy. Okay. You don't feel like you can do it well enough or that it's in you to do it all. all right. I think with that too, David, is feeling like um, like maybe what you have to offer isn't good enough or won't be won't be received well by the other party. So let's let's drive it a little bit more personal here. Which one or ones do you find the most difficult to put into practice? So remember now, the list is pretty good, right? Hold on to what is good. Each other like members of the family. Be the best at showing honor to each other. Stand your ground when you're in trouble. Devote yourself to prayer. Contribute to the needs of God's people. Anybody brave enough to sit there and go, mm, that one's hard. I have trouble devoting myself to prayer. Okay. I don't think about sitting down and just doing that for a while. Okay. Anybody else? That was one I was going to say too. Okay. I think mine is love each other like members of your family because when it's my family, I know that my family has my best interest at heart. So automatically, if they do something that rubs me the wrong way, I can forgive it easy. But when it's someone that's not that close to me and I'm trying to show love and they rub me the wrong way or do something, I'm not always as quick to say, I'm going to forgive you like I would forgive one of my cousins or my aunts or my brother. Hmm. I suspect that for some people that might be just the opposite. Family might be more challenging. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> That's the whole point about this. That's why I asked for all of us have differing ones, right? And some of us could be, hey, I'd rather deal with someone I don't know than family members. Yeah. And it seems like a lot of what we're talking about in terms of our hesitation is how other people are going to react. And all of these exhort us to do this without even mentioning how they're going to react or how they might react, nothing about how they react. So it's more a matter of just doing our part is to just do it. And it doesn't, we don't even have to think about how they're going to react because that's not even a player, but that's not necessarily how it feels when you're in that in practice, but uh, and that, I guess that's not my hesitation, but I can't pinpoint what my hesitation is. But I, but I get what you're suggesting there, that idea that um, nowhere in here does, does he make any, Peter make any kind of a reference to do this. And if people, you know, you know, as people respond a certain way, he doesn't give us the out of, 
how anybody else responds, right? In fact, we're going to get to that yeah. a little later on. But yeah, I can see where that would be, that could cause some of that dissonance, right, inside of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look at verse 10. Peter says, be the best. I think that's how he says it in our translation. Um, be the best at showing honor to each other. So that word honor can mean um, a couple of different things. It's used twice or two different ways generally in scripture. One of them is an estimate of something's value or price. So the value of something but it also can be used in reference to social value um, in terms of how we respect people within society, individuals within society. So it's both individuals and the value we put on them, the respect we give them, but also um, it can mean an estimate of somebody's value. In other words, how much we esteem or think somebody is worth. So my question to you is, and I thought about this today, I think we can show honor to others via both definitions, if you follow my meaning here. In other words, sometimes we show honor through the way that we estimate somebody's value, the price or something's value, like for instance, community. But then we can also show honor on like respect, the social value we give to someone in respect. Do you agree that we can do it both ways? In other words, we can assign value to certain things, not always to our benefit or to that person's benefit, and we could also do it in a much more positive way. In other words, there's a negative and a positive component possibility to how we honor people. Does that make sense? I know it sounded like a roundabout. Yeah, Nancy's shaking her head. Awesome. Get it. Here's what's going through my mind, and you tell me if I've lost it. So I think there is a way that we can, and I'm going to draw on some experience in Uganda that'll help. So when you watch someone or when somebody watches Chris or myself come in, and I'll pick that as an example, but even more so, when certain people come into the church, and Crystal will explain this to you, like depending upon the value that we're sh we think that person is to us, they get differing seats in the church. Does that make sense? In other words, you get this position of honor kind of thing. Nancy and Peter experienced it a little bit. When you see a politician come in, like all the way to the front, and they get to, to, to greet each other. But I'm suggesting that that's more like an estimate of the value of that person that they will be to you versus looking at somebody else and you're looking at the value of respect of Here's someone who maybe doesn't have anything, who has no stature, but has been walking with Jesus for 50 years, and I want to be around that person. Now, does that make sense? That's what I'm wondering. Do you think we do that? Oh, absolutely. And what's the effect of that on community? Well, have you ever noticed in small groups, which small groups tend, I bet you don't have any trouble ever getting a small group together, do you, David? Uh, well... I'll plead the fifth on that one. <laughs> he needs to define small. <laughs> right. Certain, certain people I'm talking about, leaders and stuff, tend to get more. more attention and more, quote, respect 
than someone that may not be in position or means even uh, than others. You can also honor people who have more financial means or better connections. You see where I'm going with this? Well, in the, in the church, churches in general, I think people that are really wealthy or have really important jobs or high CEO positions, they end up having, uh, of course, part of it's because of their inherent uh, capabilities, uh, but sometimes they end up sort of automatically being uh, listened to a little stronger, uh, oh, they're a big donor, so we have to do what they want, things like that. I don't know anything about that. <laughs> That's never happened. <laughs> I'm talking in other churches, David. <laughs> Johanna, she started to say something? Yeah, but I think that when that happens, it makes the person who may not have as much, it makes them begin to devalue themselves. Because it's not necessarily about what the gifts and talents necessarily they can bring into the table. It's about what they can bring monetarily or what kind of stature. And so they're elevating that person because if they elevate them, then they're thinking that they're also going to get elevated versus I'm truly trying to love and value you as a person because I, you are generally a good person. You walk with Jesus, you pray, you're the first one there. And I think when that person um, gets put to the backseat because this other person, it begins to taint their view. And then it begins to make them begin to back off from some of those places or actually leave the church. True, and I, I think the question then becomes, so what do you think that Peter means practically when he's saying, in essence, he's saying, be the best, outdo one another. Some of the translations say, the old NLT we used to study said, outdo one another in showing honor. What do you think he means by that in terms of bonding for the community? Are you saying that Peter wrote this letter and not Paul? I I'm saying Peter because I'm being <laughs> here on Sunday's Paul, John, you know, one of those guys. Right. I was just going, wow, I always thought it was a Paul letter. <laughs> I was engaging in both uh, Paul today and Peter. Hold it. My, car, my uh, microphone is acting a little funny. Hold on one second. There we go. Sorry about that. Yes, thank you for good catch. Good catch. <laughs> In case you ever want to know what's going on behind the scene here, I've got lights and technology and microphones and notes and computers and Bibles. And it's like, I'm, I'm still learning the whole thing. What was the question again? <laughs> so he keeps saying out, he basically says, outdo yourselves, outdo each other in showing honor. What's he trying to communicate there? What's he asking us to do in order for us to bond together better in community? Practically, how do we outdo each other in giving honor? That's a tough one, isn't it? I think it's a challenge to put others before yourself. Okay. In everything. Okay. I think everyone feels special when they arrive. Okay. Like <laughs> I think it makes me think of, um, I know one thing that always goes in my mind, my grandmother always said, God's not a respecter of person. And so it means that you're, if you're Christ-like and you treat everyone the way that God does, then you're genuinely honoring everybody. 
has nothing to do with what they can bring to the table, has nothing to do with their gifts and talents. It's just because they're a child of God. True. So are, are you pretty confident, Jay, it's not the greeter just out greeting the other person and being happier and running around and greeting even more persons than uh, people than the person next to you? I don't know. Z and I used to play dodge the greeter. <laughs> <laughs> David, could it be that really um, what's going on here is it helps us just recognize that fact in us that we need to do it rather than we're really competing with one another. But it's more of we need to recognize this person ourselves and understand who they are, what they are, they may need us. I mean, it's just more to me an internal thing than it is a competition. Right. And that's a good, that's a really great observation to make sure that we zero, that although we have actions associated with them, they're really attitudes first, right? Because that's really what's going to then drive that action, right? So if your attitude is that, as you said, Johannes, there's no respecter of persons, we're all equal, we're all in this together, however you want to phrase that, right? Then if that's your attitude, then how you act toward everybody else will, um, will be the natural outflow of that. In fact, he says in verse 11 um, that we ought to... Um, serve the Lord. And then he, he links that idea of serving the Lord with the verb for zeal or enthusiasm. So we should enthusiastically serve the Lord. That's one of the words that my mom or phrases that my mom and grandma and the church that I grew up on, uh, grew up in, they throw out all the time. It's like, hey, this person is serving the Lord. And I always, there was always a part of me that that really bothers me. Like, it's almost to me like they're, that we're, if we're not careful, we'll make a distinction um, and think of some activities as serving the others and others as not serving the Lord. Now, I'm not, now, I'm not talking about sinful stuff now. Don't, don't jump there. I'm just talking about we have this, te this tendency, do we not, to say certain things are serving the Lord and then certain things maybe we don't think of those in terms of serving the Lord. Am, am I off on that, or do you think that that's some of your experiences as well? See some shaking heads? I haven't run up on that. Say again? I haven't, I haven't really had that distinction in my mind. Any, any Christ-like behavior to me was serving the Lord. Did you ever... Uh, in in, in big, big, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, Nancy, go ahead. Okay. In big churches, I've seen it played out where people are, feel lesser if they're working in the nursery instead of being on the stage in front of everybody singing or playing an instrument or something, they want to have that recognition. So the person on the stage is serving the Lord because everybody sees it, but the person in the nursery they feel like they're not getting as much recognition. Now, do you sense as we read these and you've heard through these of contributing to needs of God people, welcoming strangers, serving the Lord, honoring each other, are there any limits on these attitudes that lead to these actions? Do you get any sense of that or even a natural sense? Are there limits to these? What do you mean? Doesn't list any. So it says, 
welcome strangers into your house, contribute to the needs of God's people. And you would say, is there any time when contributing to the needs of God's people, you would say, yes, I'm supposed to contribute to the needs of God's people, except that in this situation? I would say that there is the danger in making it a showy presentation. Okay, fair. And also there's a danger, I agree with what Stephen said, but also there's a danger in feeling like it's my job to um, fix everybody. So if ever I see a need, it's my job to go fulfill it. And sometimes God wants me to do that. And sometimes God might have somebody else to do that. And remember, that's a great observation. Remember, if you go back and you look at the very first part, it's all of this is couched, and I would say is within the limits of what is the loving thing to do. What is the Christ-like loving thing to do? That really is the limiting factor because sometimes oh, it's not always the most loving thing to do to contribute to the needs of God's people. Do you understand what I'm suggesting there? Sometimes mm -hmm. it's not the loving thing to do to not stand against evil. It's not the loving thing to do you know, to welcome certain strangers into our house. That's the limitation he puts on it there at the very beginning that it's about love right? He goes on now and says, you know what, it's not just how we interact with people in community, in our communities, Christian communities, 14 to 18, and this is where we'll finish tonight, um, talks and shifts our attention to doing, to the things we are to do, and by the way, not do, for people outside of the faith. He adds in a couple of not do's. So see, if, if, as I'm reading, see if you can listen in and pick out the two things that he says that we're not to do. Actually, there's three, I think. So listen, see if you can catch those. Beginning in verse uh, 14. Bless people who harass you. Bless and don't curse them. Be happy with those who are happy and cry with those who are crying. Consider everyone as equal and don't think that you're better than anyone else. Instead, associate with people who have no status. Don't think that you're so smart. Don't pay back anyone for their evil actions with evil actions, but show respect for what everyone else believes is good. And if possible, to the best of your ability, live at peace with all people. He shifted his attention now to people who are outside of faith. So there's a list of things we're supposed to do. We're to bless people who harass us. Ooh, that's fun. We're to be Happy with those who are happy. That's not so bad. Or sometimes it is. Let's be honest. <laughs> with those who cry. Associate with people of no stature. Again, tons of fun there. Lots in it for us there. Show respect for what everyone believes. And to the ability, to the best of your ability, live at peace. Now, he balances those while at the same time saying we're not to do what? Did you pick them out? Don't curse them. Verse 14, we're not supposed to curse. That's that curse is the idea of pronouncing an anathema on them, this idea that you are outside. You've been pushed to the outside. What else? Verse 16. Don't think you're better than anyone else. Don't put on airs, as my grandma used to say. And verse 17. <coughs> the last one is verse 17. Don't pay people back. 
with something that they've done to you and get even. Yeah, so don't pay back evil for evil. So this kind of love, at least on the surface, seems to be more difficult. In fact, I would suggest we tend to gloss over these in favor of the first bunch. <laughs> so what has been your experiences with trying to follow these instructions? What's made it possible or impossible? Have you tried this? Showing respect for everyone? Trying to live at peace? Don't uh, turn around and bless people who harass you? In your experience, does this work pretty good, Mike? Um, I have a question on the word bless. Uh -huh. Can you elaborate on that uh, in light of the original language? Oh, I can. Well, let's throw it out to the masses first. What do you guys think? What does it mean to, to bless someone in the idea of scripture? Anybody want to take a stab? Well, pray for them, do good to them, treat them with respect. All right. So it's got the idea, Mike, that carries along of invoking or asking for or invoking God's blessing on this. Yeah. God's favor, I guess. I can't, you can't define it with the word, right? So you're invoking God's favor. So the person who's harassing you, you are invoking God's favor, doing things to invoke God's favor on them. Hmm. What's been your experience trying to follow these? That's, it's hard. <laughs> it is hard. Usually when someone is persecuting you, my reaction is just to stay away from them and just not have anything to do with them. Avoidance. Yeah, avoidance. Is that an option here? You could stay away from them and, and invoke God's blessing on them at the same time. Possible. Okay. If, if it means if staying away means you didn't punch them out, I guess you bless them. <laughs> yeah, the scripture doesn't prohibit going away from them. No, it doesn't. That's true. Well, I've had two uh, memorable people in my uh, career, my business career, that uh, I felt like I did this, where I uh, showed love despite their idiocy or their whatever, bad things, trying to do bad things to me. And uh, in one case, it didn't really make a lot of difference to the other person, and we just sort of sort of went separate ways within the company. But the other one I actually still have a relationship with today. And uh, it's, a, it's as if some of the, ne uh, the negative stuff never happened in his mind. And um, I, I think that God has to, to bless that, my actions somehow in that person's life, you know? So it's more than just asking God's blessing. It's actually demonstrating God's love to, to a person by us doing that. Yeah, it's hard to invoke that blessing if you're not willing to participate in it by, you know, like demonstrating unconditional love, right? Yeah. Others? Is there one that or more of these that you find 
most difficult to put into practice, getting down to the nitty gritty again, and why? Is it that blessing the person who is harassing you? Yes. <laughs> Jorlin's saying yes. <laughs> Which one? I think for me, it's the don't think that you're so smart. So, because sometimes it's just infuriating to me that people don't think it all the way through. Yeah, that's what your Enneagram numbers, all of our Enneagram numbers, right? Or Enneagram, depending on how you say it, all of our Enneagram numbers come out, right? I can't believe that person is so, they haven't thought through this at all. They just reacted with their gut. Oh, wait, they're a gut person. <laughs> Good. Anybody else? The most difficult to put into practice. Blessing people who harass you, happy with people who are happy. Anybody have that one? As none of us wants to admit to that one. Crying with those who cry, associating with people of no stature. Showing respect for what everyone believes. Hmm. Living at peace, not cursing, thinking of yourself, others, paying back evil for either. Anybody else so want? When it says living at peace, it says, if at all possible, get along. <laughs> so there's an if. As, as much as is possible within you, meaning, as you just said earlier, somebody said earlier, we have no control over how anybody else responds to what's happening. So as much as is possible with you, right? Good. Most difficult to put into practice and why? Anybody wanna want to share? Well, someone that's harassing me, I just look at them as evil. So therefore, I can hate them. <laughs> and you're thinking of other people thinking of yourself as better than other people because you're not evil yeah we, yeah i don't really have trouble with that i just thought that was an interesting observation <laughs> <laughs> i had the justice thing as a problem i have <laughs> revenge i guess payback evil for evil okay so Peter concludes his admonition, verse 18, he says, if possible, and you guys talked about it, to the best of your ability. Or Paul. I keep saying that. Because <laughs> I, cause I typed it in here. That's stupid. No wonder I'm saying it. All right, I'm fixing it right now. That's really annoying. Sorry. I had a book. I was working on my book manuscript today, this class, and Sunday, all at the same time. There is a three at work. Or not really, depends on your perspective, I suppose. So he, Paul, 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 Paul concludes with an admonition in verse 18, if possible, to the best of your ability, live at peace with all people. So my question to you, as Christians as a whole, I'm talking in a big picture of things, how are we doing on this particular admonition? I see some shaking heads. I don't think that problem. we do a good job because we're quick to alienate people who we disagree with. If you see all the division in opinions, this cancel culture that we have now, that if I don't have the same opinion as you, then we can't be friends. I, can, I can't be family with you. And so I don't, I think lately it's gotten worse in that before we could have, I didn't have to agree with you for us to be in relationship. I, I think one of the things I've always said is if our relationship is, based upon whether we're going to always agree, we won't be friends for long. For, and, for the, <laughs> yes. Very true. Yeah. And so I think that 
for some reason, we really turn that tide. And even as Christians, we are quick to be like, you're not as good as us because you don't believe the way we are. And so we automatically dismiss you and put you in this separate category. Oh, so the categorization people, yeah. Uh, categorization, yeah. I actually don't feel that way. I feel that as uh, our, our um, U.S. Uh, society is that way, I agree, but I don't think it's particularly Christian. And um, I see a lot of variation in political thought, theological thought uh, in, among different churches. And um, yeah, some, some churches are, you know, going to say, oh, well, if you weren't baptized uh, with dunking, then you're, you weren't really baptized and you can't be a member of our church. And Okay, that's selective, you know, okay. But it's not necessarily showing unlove either. And um, I, um, I think as the Christians that I know are actually, I think, pretty good about showing uh, tolerance and, and love to, to other people. Our society as general, which may have many years ago used to be portrayed as a Christian society, isn't a Christian society today, so I don't think it does. So do you think also as a PS, I will say Peter is not on social media. That helps. <laughs> <laughs> so is it easier to to follow this particular admonition with those inside or outside of the faith community? Why? Is it easier to live in harmony to the best of our ability with those inside the faith community or outside or neither both and and why i think outside because i don't have an expectation that they're supposed to be some way oh, or inside my expectation is you're supposed to behave a certain way and so it makes mm -hmm. it harder for me to get along with you because i know you know better <laughs> i i 100 agree with that <laughs> jay say it again well i 100 agree with that explain well, it. i grew up as a pastor's kid and so i already know from uh the experience that uh, people and Christians aren't really that much different than uh, non-Christians as far as how much sin and idiocy they show. Yeah, go ahead, Jake. Explain. <laughs> me. Jay, hmm? I said, go ahead. You you said something. You I you said something about you agree, but I couldn't catch what you said. Oh, I I, I agree with with Joanna's statement there. I think it's much easier. You know, when you get within the Christian community, you start slicing and dicing and dividing things up. When you're outside of that, the expectation goes away and it just, it's quite frankly, much easier. So what are some of the specific ways you guys think that we struggle to live in harmony? I think you picked one, social media. <laughs> I think that's kind of like a given right now, right? That we struggle to live in harmony on social media. That's intentional disharmony. Yeah, exactly. Other areas where we struggle to live in harmony? When you asked the question initially, I was thinking it's not necessarily just based on Christian or not Christian. It's oftentimes based just on um, circumstance, like life circumstance. It's easier for me to relate to people in my same life circumstance, like living in a, in, in my economic same 
area generally or living in a city versus country or living, I don't know, a whole bunch of different things. Right. Um, and sometimes it's easier to somebody like me, it's easier to relate to them. And so sometimes it's harder to relate to someone who's not like me in general, as opposed to just whether you're a Christian or not. Do y'all ever put any thought into, um, and I say thought and ownership of any part of your part in any lack of harmony that you might be experiencing or <laughs> some of you are smiling or is it, is it typically like it's always the other person? No, it's me. And I tend to withdraw from it so that I don't have to deal with it. I just, okay. And I think that's it. It's if you choose to engage or not. So the moment you engage and you begin to participate in whatever craziness that's going on by listening, viewing, um, retweeting, um, following, then you become part of that ick, for the lack of a better word. And I think I always, my again, my grandmother always said, you know, you're in the world, not of the world. And so I could see all this stuff going on that I disagree with. I don't have to participate by giving my opinion, those kind of things, but I can still love the way I'm supposed to. Mm, good, yeah. Owning our part of any lack of harmony can be challenging, right? So it kind of begs the question as we wrap up our time tonight, um, really to ask the question, so where will this love come from? And I think the simple answer that Paul, simple, not easy, simple that he is saying is it has to come not under our own power because I know that in and of myself, I don't have the ability to desire to or the ability to live in harmony with all people because some people are just idiots. <laughs> oh, wait. Yeah, your pastor just said that. None of you, of course, but you understand what I'm saying. We all have that peace inside of us, right? In my own self, I'm not naturally going to want to respond to somebody who's harassing me by thinking, oh, let me think, how can I invoke God's blessing on them so that they'll have even more resources and more time and more whatever so they can harass me even more, right? <laughs> I'm probably the only one, but I know it's not under my own power. And that's why I think he set up everything the way Paul did. We do this as a demonstration or a reflection of the grace from Jesus Christ that we've received. So if you were to, if you were to, somebody came up to you tomorrow or later tonight and they said, hey, I heard you went to the Thursday night table and you looked at Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 18. What was one of your key takeaways? We'll just wrap it up with this. Do you have a key takeaway, like in a sentence or two, of how this should impact or will impact how we live together in community. I think if you think about it as it's not about their relationship with God, it's about my relationship with God and always living like that. Right. So our relationship with God is what fuels our ability to love others. Good, yeah. I go back to the phrase honor uh, earlier in the conversation because honor is the act of putting the other person in front of you, no matter station or whatever. Yeah. And that kind of is the precursor to 
a lot of what he's talking about. It's well said, yeah. This honor piece, right? Good. And also, um, it in our specific table, church group of people, one thing you said is how does this uh, impact how we live together? And the, and that implies the obvious that we would have to get together, whether it's on Zoom or whatever, but you'd have to be present with people in order to even begin doing this. Right. The only way that our hearts change to be able to do these things, I think as Paul's case here, is through community. You literally learn these attitudes and how to live them out in community. So if you're right, Nancy, if you're not part of community, then you miss out on that opportunity, yeah, to, to learn, as Jay said, to put honor in place and to learn how our relationship, as Johanna said, with God fuels our ability to love others, yeah. Any other key takeaways? I think my key takeaway is that I have to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. I have to stop trying so hard, stop overthinking it, and just let the Spirit lead, and then I should be good. I think if we do these things, what he talks about happens is that we live at peace with everyone. And so therefore, by doing that, we actually have this outcome of peace. Quite honestly, I think the Christian community as a whole could really uh, take a good dose of that. <laughs> I think you, you hit on a good one there. It's about that, the, the attitudes, the involvement of our attitude, because when we can get that attitude part right, the actions will follow naturally out of that. Because we all know we could do the right actions without the right attitude, and it's pretty much, that's pretend, right? And we've already, we've already hit on that. Good. Any other final thoughts on anybody else want to share a, a key takeaway? Well, I appreciate you guys taking an hour to be with us tonight with part of your Jesus family here. Um, I'm enjoying putting these things together and I hope you guys are enjoying at least seeing each other and interacting. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it's fun in a little bit smaller group like this because we can, I don't know about you, I could see you all on one screen. That helps. Yeah. Um, on Sundays, you talk about one more technology piece. I'm having to go back and forth across my um, slider there to see people and make sure I can catch all of you who are sleeping. No. Um, <laughs> uh, so I appreciate you guys uh, coming on tonight. Um, Chris Walstead, would you mind um, closing us in a word of prayer here tonight as we finish up our time? Sure. I'll be happy. Welcome to the Table Dallas podcast. At the Table Dallas, we create a sacred space to worship, connecting our stories with the story of God as revealed in scriptures. We invite you now to listen to this week's discussion. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Table Dallas podcast. We invite you to join the conversation at one of our upcoming tables. To learn more about us, please check out our website at thetabledallas.com. We are saving a seat for you at the table.